It's great to see each and every one of you. My name is Chad, and I am one of the pastors here. And a Merry Christmas to you. I hope and pray that it was indeed Merry. We all experience moments of uncertainty. And these, these moments, however long or short they are, lead oftentimes to feelings of insecurity. Not just an internal insecurity about lack of confidence in yourself, but lack of security in general, whether that's fearing, uh, fearing something that could in fact harm you. You just sense a lack of protection, possibly a lack of provision. Moments of insecurity are bred by moments of uncertainty. As a child, uh, I had an unrealized fear that I would be left at a store or a soccer game. These thoughts of uncertainty led to great insecurity that I would no longer have a family to protect me and care for me. Now, that was totally unfounded, but it was still very real to me. But having grown up as an adult, I still step into these moments of uncertainty moments that I cannot control, moments that oftentimes turn into seasons. And these moments or seasons of uncertainty still stir in me these feelings of insecurity that I should be cautious or wary because I don't know where my provision will come from or where my protection will come from. Perhaps you're experience this as a single parent or someone stepping into a new job or looking or waiting for a promotion. Perhaps you've just moved here and you find yourself surrounded by uncertainty. And this is sadly normal for all of us because we are broken people living in a fallen, broken world. And no matter how much we desire to control our circumstances, Oftentimes, much of what we experience is far beyond our control. So where do we run to when our foundation feels shaken? When the uncertainty is mounting and you feel a lack of security? We run to the Lord. We run to the Lord our faithful God who loves us, who's with us and for us. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 9. And I encourage you to open your Bibles or find Isaiah 9 on your phone. And in Isaiah 9, we will see that we run to the Lord, our faithful God, for the only real security available. He really is the only sure thing. Today in our sermon, we will talk on trusting in our faithful Lord and waiting on Him. Trusting in Him and waiting on Him during times of great uncertainty. So as you turn to Isaiah 9, we're going to look first at trusting in the Lord during times of great uncertainty. And here we will see that we trust in the Lord whose faithful love trains us. His faithful love trains us as we trust in him. 
and ultimately he delivers us into his eternal kingdom. In verses 1 through 5, which I will read here shortly, we will see in the context of our passage that the Lord disciplined the northern kingdom of Israel for abandoning him and for trusting in a Gentile alliance. But the Lord ultimately promised to deliver them into his kingdom. So read with me verses 1 through 5. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Okay, stop right there with me. Now, the context of this passage is one of tremendous uncertainty. You see, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel that at one time was one kingdom are split. Uh, we see that the northern kingdom has actually made an alliance with Syria because the northern kingdom feels the threat of Assyria, a tremendous empire. And so rather than looking to the Lord, they have trusted in an alliance with Syria. But we see here that this prophecy is for Judah, who is the southern kingdom under the leadership of King Ahaz. And this King Ahaz is in an alliance with Assyria, which has increased the hostility between these two kingdoms. And so this is a very uncertain time. And in our passage here, the judgment has yet to take place. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah for King Ahaz of Judah. And we're going to divide this prophecy up into former times and latter times. And the text actually does that. It uses the phrase former times and latter times. These former times, as we will see, are a time of great darkness. And these latter times are a time of great light. So the former time of divine discipline. In verse 1 here, we see, In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now these two terms, Zebulun and Naphtali, they are in the northern kingdom, and they represent the region of Galilee. They represent the region of Galilee, which is a part of the northern kingdom. And they are in an alliance with Syria, because of the great uncertainty of Assyria, and they're running to a Gentile nation for protection. But we see in this prophecy that the Lord is going to train them. He's going to discipline them in that time of uncertainty. We see these words in verse 1, anguish, darkness in verse 2, deep darkness. These words picture a scene of death and decay in the northern kingdom following their 
divine discipline. Now, historically speaking, as I said, this prophecy that Isaiah shared with King Ahaz had not yet happened to the northern kingdom. It would happen in approximately two years following this prophecy. In 735 B.C., just to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about here, 735 years before Christ, the northern kingdom was disciplined by the Lord through the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian army overran Syria, it overran the northern kingdom. And this discipline was finalized in 722 AD when Samaria, the capital, was wiped out. So this is what we're seeing here, and this is a backdrop, the former times, that's just tremendously dark. It's very sad, it's, it's very difficult. It's filled with death and decay. But the Lord doesn't leave his people in that state of discipline, in that time of darkness. In verse 1, we see that phrase, latter time, the final part of verse 1 there. Now, we're going to look at this latter time of divine deliverance. So the former time of divine discipline for trusting in someone or something else other than the Lord during uncertainty, and a latter time of divine deliverance, God's faithful love, his grace, his mercy, which delivers his people despite our, our rebellion. So the latter time of divine deliverance, but in verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, there's three terms I want to point out to you here. The first is the way of the sea, the second is the land beyond the Jordan, and the third is Galilee of the nations. These are names that were given to the Galilee region after they were overrun by Assyria. Now, in the latter times, despite their rebellion, we see in verse 1 that there will be no more gloom. And in fact, they will be made glorious. So why is the Lord willing to do this for his people who rebelled against him through idolatry, horrific forms of idolatry? by rebelling against him and seeking an alliance with a, a Gentile nation rather than trusting in him. The reason is it's an act of faithful love towards his covenant people. Now, this is something that we often talk about, but it's a treasured reality for us as well as Israel at the time to be in a covenant relationship with the maker of heaven and earth who has pledged himself to his people and in his covenant with Israel, primarily through Abraham, where he promised a land, and then it, it became even more focused through David when he promised an eternal kingdom. And we see the Lord promising a future time of deliverance based on these covenants for his people. So how will he deliver? How will he honor his covenant for his people? We see this in verse 2, and it's right in line with our message uh, on Christmas Eve night with this phrase, light. Look at verse 2. We have seen a great light. On them, light has shone. So this light is in polar opposite. It's in contrast to the darkness. The darkness symbolized judgment and its effects. The light here represents deliverance, 
from a deliverer and all of its positive effects. And we will see in verses 6 through 7, which we have not yet read, we will see the character traits of this deliverer. We will see the tremendous power and the goodness that he brings to his people fighting on their behalf. So this prophecy on the deliverance, as I've said, it's yet to be fulfilled even to this day, despite the fact that the judgment has already occurred. So for the original audience, the Lord through Isaiah during this tremendously uncertain time was exhorting King Ahaz of Judah, trust only in your covenant God for security, for protection, for provision. Now what I mean by that is you ultimately trust in him, you go to him, depending upon him and not forsaking him. You don't chase after the world's offers that are sinful. Now certainly the world offers all kinds of blessings that we receive from the hand of the Lord that do provide security, that do provide provision, but we never chase after those at the cost of forsaking our God. He is the source of all security, the source of all provision. Just as we sing as kids, he has the whole world in his hands. That's tremendously comforting. And he was exhorting King Ahaz to to return to him, to return to this covenant-keeping God, this God of faithful love and tremendous power, to forsake his alliance with Assyria. And what Isaiah was showing King Ahaz through this prophecy was, look, this northern kingdom alliance with Syria that you fear, I'm about to wipe that out. Do not fear. Return to me. Forsake your alliance with Assyria. Return to me. My mighty right hand will protect you. My arm is never too short. Unfortunately, Ahaz continued his ways of idolatry. He continued his alliance with Assyria, and he did not return to the Lord. So where do we as Christians fall into this prophecy? How do we fit? Well, our place is with this great light. Our place has been united with him, the deliverer. You see, this great light is the Davidic king we know as Jesus. And in his first appearing, which we are celebrating, which we are remembering, he has delivered his people from the greatest enemy, from sin. And he has united us to himself by grace through faith in him. And so we too are being trained by his faithful love, by his grace to be his people. And we are waiting. Not only are we trusting in him now, not only are we maintaining an intimacy by abiding in his son, but we are waiting on this great light to return to complete his kingdom, to reign here, to manifest his power and glory in ways that we have yet to experience, but we long for, that we treasure in our hearts. And so when we feel this pull towards insecurity, take comfort. Take comfort knowing that whatever the Lord allows to pass from his hand and touch you, 
In those moments where you feel your foundation is shaken, you feel insecure, take comfort knowing that he's allowed that to touch you in order to draw you nearer to himself, in order to learn to trust in him and depend upon him in deeper and greater ways. So we've looked at what it means to trust in the Lord, in his faithful love, who trains us now and will deliver us. Let's look now at waiting on the Lord in this broken world with our broken lives. We wait on the Lord who will return in power. He will return in power to conquer all of our enemies and deliver us finally into his eternal kingdom in a tangible way beyond belief. It'll be by sight. So in verses six through seven, which we will shortly read, we're gonna see that the ideal king, the ideal king will deliver his people from Gentile powers and reunite the northern and southern kingdoms under his perfect rule. So let's look at this ideal king in verses six through seven. Read along with me. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we've discussed, this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. Uh, But it's very interesting. There's enough evidence in this that we can have a measure of certainty of at what point this will, in fact, be fulfilled due to the fact we have uh, further revelation with Christ have have already come in his first advent. So in verse 1D, the first part of verse 1, we're going back up. We see this phrase, Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the nations. And we also see this phrase um, in verse four, where you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, these two verses, Galilee of the nations and the day of Midian, actually speak of the same location, speak of the same location. They speak of a, a geographical place in the Jezreel Valley just west of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the key city in that region was called Megiddo. Now, if you were to understand Megiddo as a first century ancient Near East citizen, it would have been a tremendous trade route. And that was true in 700 BC as well. It was a tremendous trade route linking Damascus with Egypt. So a lot of commerce went through this way. And they built forts there in Megiddo on a place called Mount Megiddo. And if you were to translate Mount Megiddo from Hebrew into Greek, it would be Armageddon. It would be Armageddon. So what I'm saying is, is here in this passage, the location where this great light will shine, the victory that this great light will bring will take place in the Jezreel Valley, 
where Mount Megiddo overlooks. And we know that is the battle of Armageddon. It's the final battle during the tribulation when the Lord in power and glory returns with his people and defeats the Antichrist and his world forces. So again, this is a yet-to-be-fulfilled deliverance into his kingdom. But the text is showing us, and we link it with what we understand in the New Testament, that it will happen. That the New Testament has further developed this deliverer, this mighty conqueror who will return and conquer so let's look at the traits of this mighty deliverer, and this is actually the high point of the whole prophecy. What we're going to see here is an ideal king. There has been no king like this, and there will be no king like this. Revelation calls him the king of kings. So let's look at some of these traits. We're going to see four titles of this ideal king who will return and conquer. We see first wonderful counselor. That's there in verse 6. Wonderful counselor. Now, this royal title depicts, uh, depicts an extraordinary military tacticianer, someone who is a military strategist. Now, this falls right in line with what we just talked about the, as the battle of Armageddon. This wonderful counselor will come and he will destroy the rebellious armies of the world behind the Antichrist that have overrun the promised land and overrun the world with their unrighteousness. We also see this title in verse 6 here, Mighty God. Now, Mighty God, historically, was a royal representative in the sense that this divine title, historically, when it was given to someone like David or Solomon, it didn't signify deity. But because of Christ's first advent, we can look at this and say, wow, this here, this prophecy in 735 or BC is a hint of the incarnation. That this king of kings is not only a Davidic ruler, but he's mighty God. And that's, that's fascinating. That this prophecy that we have now, we can look back on and say, God has written this story. We are, we are standing on a sure foundation as his children. And it, the scroll will unfold, so to speak. The story will come to its conclusion based on God's hand. So we see here, mighty God, we know that now is a reference to the incarnation. And we also see this term, everlasting father. Now, this ideal king as everlasting father, it has nothing to do with the first person of the Trinity. An everlasting father in a kingly sense is one who will always provide. Who will always provide the security. Who will always provide the resources. Whatever it is you as his child, his loved loved one that his son has died for or excuse me that he has died for this everlasting father is is Christ in the kingly sense that he provides for us and this everlasting aspect it plays into his divine nature in the sense that he will not he will never die his provision will never end he is everlasting and then finally prince of peace 
This title emphasizes that the king would be the agent of military and security and domestic peace. True peace that we long for. Deep down, we all long for it. The world longs for it. We are still in our own ways trying to establish peace. And some of them are good, but some of them are beyond what we are capable of. And we're going to look at that here, that this kingdom, this peace, it comes from outside our broken system. It comes from one that is beyond us. And we see that here, that the channel for his peace, for his provision, in verse 7 there, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, it's based on justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. This justice and this righteousness is in Christ. He is just. He is righteous. There is no leader in our world today who could establish a kingdom like this. In fact, the Antichrist will attempt to mimic the kingdom of God, but it will not be based on justice or righteousness. We are waiting for a king, an ideal king, who is just, who is righteous. Now, as a church, there is a measure of caution for us in this, as we are often tempted to put our hope in an institution, in an elected official, to establish this type of peace, this type of prosperity, this type of security that only comes from the one above, who is currently at the right hand of God the Father and who will return. And so, we are wise to wait on him, trusting in him. Now, I want to read to you from Matthew 4. You, have no, you don't need to turn there unless you'd like. I'm going to read Matthew 4, 12 through 17. And the reason I'm going to do that is it sheds light, further light on our passage in a tremendous way. Matthew 4, 12 through 17 is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Listen as I read. Now, when he heard, that's Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those whose dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is that great light, who we now understand has two advents, two comings. As the partial fulfillment of this deliverance, he's made a way for everyone to enter into his kingdom, which he will establish on his second advent. But what do we see this great light doing in this passage that, I, that is a fulfillment of sorts of Isaiah? We see him preaching people to repent, 
preaching to people to return to God. The same message Isaiah was preaching, return to God. Step into the light. We know that to put our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's the ministry of Jesus, and that's the ministry he has also given us. So as we wait on the Lord to return, to establish his kingdom, we are wise not to invest all of our energy into establishing a kingdom here. We are wise not to utilize all of our our resources to hopefully elect the right guy in office, and he will represent us. He will rule well on behalf of us. He will secure our nation. He will secure the world. What we see here with Jesus, this great light, is preaching a message of returning to God through faith in him. And as a church, that is how we are to spend our time, our resources as well. It's through faith in Christ that we are delivered from the penalty of sin. And it's only by way of resurrection are we securely planted in this kingdom to come. This kingdom that has been established now that we are all a part of, but that will come in its final form when the Lord returns. And so what we've seen here is Isaiah is preaching a message to Judah and King Ahaz in particular during a tremendously uncertain time. And he's encouraging King Ahaz to to trust in the Lord, your covenant-keeping God, and to wait. He will deliver you into the kingdom. And we as God's people, as we face tremendously uncertain times, whether it's personal or on a national or international stage, these uncertainties lead to feelings of insecurity. But we too are to trust in the Lord, our rock, and we are to Wait on the Lord. And as we wait, invite others to step into this kingdom that has a sure foundation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your son. He is the true light. Thank you that he has come and he's made a way for us to be citizens of his kingdom. And we do, we we glorify his name as he is the king of kings. And that gives us tremendous hope. And we do bless his name this morning. Pray that his name would be glorified through us as his people. We pray that you would strengthen us and comfort us, Lord, as we live in uncertain times. May our eyes be fixed on him as we trust in him and wait on him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet so that I could bless you as... You depart from here and go out into the world. May the Lord bless you as his people. May his spirit who indwells you strengthen you, comfort you, knowing that your God is with you. And may the spirit give you eyes to see the hand of the Lord at work in your lives at all times. And may we be people who trust in the King of Kings and who wait on him. You are dismissed.